Welcome to Crafting a Living. Today's guest is Manfred Huff. Manfred studied marketing and advertising at UCT, and he started his career at the Rembrandt Group as a tobacco salesman. In the early 70s, he was part of the team at Intercontinental Breweries where the Rembrandt Group took on the mighty SAB. Later in his career, he used his experience to bring the vintage beers to South Africa, and he now is the sales manager for Flair Beverages who import Erdinger, Paulana, and Bitburger beer. Let's welcome Manfred. I used to work with Manfred many years ago, and uh, Manfred is back in the beer business. Welcome, Manfred. Um, Manfred, you started in the beer business. When was it? How old were you? Well, it was 1973. 1973. When we, I was involved in the development for uh, Intercontinental Breweries, which uh, led to the launch of Kronberg 1308, uh, subsequently Heidelberg Lager. Uh, we're talking also Sportsman Lager, um, then right at the end, uh, we had Kulumbok Light, the first light beer ever launched by Intercontinental Breweries. Um, and unfortunately, that career, of, although it was most satisfying and was seven years of my life, ended very dramatically with the sale of Intercontinental Breweries mm. uh, to SAB as part of the share swap to gain control of Stellenbosch Farmers for the uh, Distillers Corporation, which ended up in the mighty distill as we see it today. So for um, me, immediately, I've got I've got memories. <laughs> so that was 1973. I can I was born in 69, so I wasn't very old then. But I can clearly remember on a Sunday on the family farm where the uncles used to drink Kronenbräu, or at least they were still using the mugs, maybe. Um, Hopefully they were drinking it as well, not using just the mugs. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can remember my father was a keen fisherman and in 1976 I think or 78 he went and he won the Sudwana ski boat f uh, fishing competition with the biggest black marlin of which a replica was made and I think one of them is in the in the Durban aquarium in those days it's probably not in Oshaka anymore but in the old aquarium they had a replica made of that marlin and the reason why I'm mentioning it the prize was a mug of Heidelberg. Heidelberg. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah. The last mug. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've got memories of those brands. I don't remember the other brands. Well, the the, the Sportsman Lager was aimed at um, at the young drinker. You know, we've Cronenboy uh, and Heidelberg were very traditional German-style beers. Okay. They came with heritage from Germany. I mean, Cronenboy, the brewery 1308 is when, when that brewery in Germany actually dry Kronenbrauerei actually started brewing beer. In 1308. Uh, in 1308. So we, when when we launched the Kronenbrauer, we actually launched it with that German heritage going okay. back to 1308. Was it under license then? Basically, the, the little tiny brewery was the rights, uh, international rights were bought by the okay. uh, Rembrandt Group, and that gave us the rights to it. Um, I had the privilege of, of visiting the little brewery uh, on several occasions, and it's still brewing beer today. Uh, it serves a little local community, a pub and a little bit of a restaurant, and the the locals come with their two-liter and five-liter container and actually fetch their beer from the brewery wow. and take it home. So it's very much in the old style and tradition of Bavarian brewers. So um, in Bavaria? Yeah, in Bavaria. I mean, you, you know, Holger, I mean, they, at that time, there were well over 600 little breweries in Bavaria. Really? Uh, you know, there were some mighty big ones, and but yeah. there were also very little ones which basically served a little village or a little Bauernhof, etc., Wow, that's that's. I mean, that's and and in Bavaria, how far from Munich? I mean, as a reference point, um, it is about whew, not quick one. You caught caught me on that. I would say plus minus a hundred odd kilometers so an from uh, an hour's drive from from Munich. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to find that brewery one day and go and visit it. Well, maybe we when we if we have a chance to go over in October, we can go and actually yeah. try and uncover it again, and you and I can have a beer there. Yeah. I did a similar pilgrimage to the Kaltenberg Brewery once. Okay. Um, I visited my brother-in-law was a tennis coach in, in Austria, and then we went to visit my sister who was living in, I think in Berlin or Leipzig, 
and we met in Munich and we went on and went to hunt for the Kronen, I mean the Kaltenberg Brewery, which is obviously the home of Prince Leopold von Bayern. Yeah. Uh, he, you say he was also involved somewhere along the line? Yes, he, he was a director of Dreikorn Barai, which was a registered company in Switzerland, uh, which we, we used. Um, one of the breweries we also owned was, was Swaziland Brewery, which became part of Intercontinental. Okay. And uh, they would, through that brewery, uh, we did some international exporting, etc., uh, and that is where the international company was created, which was uh, not the local company um, okay. because of the in those days, you know, it was not so fashionable to export out of South Africa. Yeah. Okay, so three three kronen, three kronen, three kronen, yeah, three crowns. Okay. And then the other brands, Sportsman's well, Lager. Sportsman Lager again, that was launched sort of let's call it two. Nearly three years after Kronenboy, um, it was aimed at the younger market. It was uh, sort of gave a, we, it was very much sport orientated. We did a lot of sports sponsorship. It was a, a, a brand that, that we felt that it would appeal to the younger people more okay. where the. I'm just going to move this mark a little bit closer okay. if you don't mind. The German beers were okay. more based on the traditional German heritage of okay. beer making. Okay. And then, so, then the other ones were. were uh, Kulumuk Light, which was the first light beer ever produced. Sounds like a five-liter wine. Uh, <laughs> but it spelled like the uh, the the, De- the Danish Kulumuk. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, was it also then under license from from? No, it wasn't. It was our own, but it was okay. uh, basically original first ever light beer produced in in South Africa. Okay. And then the last beer that the company launched prior to its departure was a, a brand from America with an American image. Called Colt 45, yeah. which SAB must have got whiff of, and they prior to our launch they launched Stallion 54, 54. which was, and that really didn't. It all happened in the end, and actually that beer never made a mark in okay. South Africa. But then, but the, of but course, the, the story was sold at that time. Yeah, and I think that that's what's probably been written about most those yeah. two brands, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely, they, and that's that's how, how you call if you use uh, marketing. Uh, espionage and you yeah. actually then uh, find a, a, a counter attack to somebody else's brand <laughs> that sounds a little bit like in the in the late 90s when there was a Hofbra launched by Namibian breweries and SAB at, at, at the same time isn't it? Absolutely very much the same sort of thing <laughs> yeah. the one has yeah. was some Hofbra and the other one was also Hofbra yeah but okay, and Heidelberg, what was Heidelberg uh, was basically um, also a German style lawyer. It Its claim was that we used Hallertau hops. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a very hoppy, um, quite a, uh, a spicy taste, uh, um, a drier beer than Kronenberg. And you can uh, remember all this. Uh, sorry? <laughs> and you can remember the taste. Yeah, because, I mean, we. It, uh, when you're involved in the differentiation of launching yeah. beers, you try and um, create a beer to s- suit certain segments of yeah. the market. And, and Heidelberg was, was, was created to, to appeal more to the drier, uh, more the pulse-type um, yeah. market where Kronenbrei was, a, was a definitely a, a lager or a, a Germans would have called it a Helles, yeah. uh, easy drinking, uh, a very, very, very easy drinking beer. Preferably in a litre mass. Yeah, and you could actually finish a mass with it quite easily. Yeah. Okay, so Helletar hops is obviously one of the most famous hops out of out of Germany. It is the, the hops growing mm. region in Germany um, where, where I think, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, it's probably 90% of the German hops comes from that region. From that, yeah. Um, and, and, and then there are certain selected hops were specially produced for, for this flavor and that yeah. flavor, et cetera. Sure. And, and one of the styles was that Hallertau hops that was used for Heidelberg uh, was there to give the Heidelberg that specific flavor and taste. And what was, what was the market like in those days? I mean, you came onto the market... There was only SAB, or was there any? Were there any other players? Well, I mean, prior to Intercontinental, of course, was. Uh, well, well, let's Lu- start with you. What you were straight I'm, out of school? Varsity? No, 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 no. I I joined the Rembrandt Group after varsity as a mark, uh, as a manager trainee or marketing trainee. By in, where did you study in Cape Town? Uh, University of Stellenbosch. Oh, sorry, of Cape Town. Stellenbosch. Although I've spent a lot of time in Stellenbosch <laughs> with my friend, but it was University of Cape Town. I then joined the Rembrandt Group. 
um, as a marketing trainee or trainee managers, we were called those days. And I spent my first, call it 12 months on the road selling cigarettes, okay. uh, cleaning POS, uh, doing depots. Um, I was also involved in the launch of the Freedom Parks uh, under the banner of Dr. Anton Rupert. And I was very much uh, on the cigarette side. And then I was moved to the international division at Rupert International, where I got my first marketing job. And from that uh, led to the beer. And what did you market? But basically, I was on the cigarette side, okay. <laughs> uh, product manager on the cigarette side. And then, then from there, I got involved because uh, of my German background um, in, with, with the Kronenbräu. And, and that's how yeah, I got involved in the beer side. And did they make you smoke? I did smoke in those days yeah. on my own. I willingly smoked, willingly. but I did give up smoking in '76. Yeah. And, yeah. and and just tell us a little bit about the the group in those days. Was it was it Distel? I mean, Distel didn't exist as well, we know. No, it was Distillers Corporation, yeah. which was the one leg, and Castle Wine Eco Green was mm. the other liquor division. And then, of course, you had uh, you had Rothmans, uh, the, the cigarette companies. Uh, with various companies, there was Dunhill, there was Rothmans of Pall Mall, there was Rembrandt itself, and then there was American Cigarette Company, which owned brands like uh, Paul Revere and Peter Stuyvesant, um, and then uh, there was uh, then there was the the Rhodesian Company, which is Winston Tobacco, which owned brands like Gunston and Winston, okay. etc. So yes, there were several uh, cigarette companies, and but on the liquor side, there were two. One Castle Wine, EK Green, and, and Distillers Corporation. Both owned by the Rupert. And they were all owned by the Rupert Group. Okay, yeah. and then Stellenbosch Farmers Wine was, was opposition, was and, and Cadillac V was basically uh, V, which was a cooperative at yeah. that time. Okay, and the whole. And then, of course, you had uh, Gilby's as well. With, with, in the liquor, if you took the liquor trade, there, so there was Gilby's as well, and, and then Union Wine. Um, Etc. I'm trying to think. There was, of course, smaller ones, but uh, but those were the major players in the in the liquor market. As yeah. such. So Gilby's became Guinness UDV, Correct. and then Brandhouse, and then Diageo. Correct. Uh, at least in South Africa. Yeah. So and that was even then owned by the UK guys. Correct. Yeah. And Pernod Ricard and those guys weren't weren't around the yes, French. Yes, they were, but but they were not a, not a significant uh, players in, in in those days. Uh, okay. And in terms of spirit, local spirit, was Edward Snell on the? I round? think I think Edward Snell. I mean, they claim to be since eighteen something, but yeah, I'm. I'm but I don't would. Remember. I would probably, and I'm, I'm. I'm. I might be wrong on this, but I would say. If they were around, they were very small. Mm. Um, I know it's still very much later in the liquor business yeah. and, and, and today a quite a dominating factor yeah. in the liquor business. But I'll be honest, to, if, just to remember, let's call it the mid-70s, um, if they were around, they were relatively yeah. a small small operation. We can, we can certainly clear that up with Dave Kelly or Dave Hooper, but uh, Dave uh, Kelly certainly worked for distillers, and we met Dave Kelly at, at Hillcrest the other day. But his back, biggest one was Castle Wine Eco Green. That's where he came. <laughs> was that his background in, in uh, Gilby's? Uh, uh, no, Gordon's. Gordon's, yeah, Gordon's. yeah, which was part of the uh, dis distillers. Okay. So, mm -hmm. yeah, he. Gordon's Gin. Gordon's Gin was his big story. But then he ended up, in the end, he ended up working for Edward Snell and. That's right. He had his spell. He had his spell, and I think that's. Uh, I think where, where that refers to was more the the eighties, I would say, rather mm. than the seventies. Okay. All right. And then, so then there was a big deal with uh, with SAB and. Uh, yeah. Well, basically, the we, we, group. Uh, I was I was down in Stellenbosch. We did the beer presentation to the board. At which we we put forward. Um, basically our arguments why we should be here, the success we've achieved, and what we believe was the growth of the beer market versus, um, at that time, there was a lot of rumors around flavored wine and flavored wine okay. being the big entry and volume brand into into the markets. Uh, we, as beer people, felt that, that beer was the right answer. Mm. But, of course, the decision was made. Uh, one can understand also that the... Uh, Rupert's interest in wine was very strong, mm. and and I think the it, it, it was quite attractive to uh, get hold of Salamosh Farmers, which was a big player in the wine. Was business. it also cooperative? Yeah, um, no, they were not. They were oh. a, a separate company, and they were uh, dominant shareholders was SAB. So basically, uh, the the sellout of Intercontinental to. Uh, SAB gave them the controlling, gave them SFW, which gave them a, 
a, a massive market in, in the wine and, and, and spirit business in okay. South Africa, which today we all know as Distel, yeah. which is made up of distillers and Stellenbosch. That is where the combination comes from. And we all know today what a major player they are mm. both locally and internationally in, in the liquor business, in total yeah. wine and liquor business. Yeah. I mean, I can clearly remember when <clears throat> I must have been first year varsity and we, we drove down to Stellenbosch uh, or, or the Cape all the way from Natal and we ended up at Stellenbosch Farmers Winery because one of our mates had a connection who worked there and we got a, did a wine tasting and I can remember getting a t-shirt which said, save water, drink wine, yeah. which I wouldn't <laughs> wear today because... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, so Stellenbosch on its own survived obviously a long time until it became part of the Absolutely. I mean, they, they, I mean, they were a leading wine company, mm. um, more wine orientated than than Spirits. spirit orientated. Okay. Where distillers so was, was less wine and more spirit yeah. orientated. So the, the merger, of course, gave them a, a, a number of additional wine brands, gave them yeah. a number of different entries uh, into the market. So it, it was a it was a marriage that uh, definitely had advantages. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the market. I mean, selling beer. You selling beer again now? What was it like then? Well, or I think not very much has, I mean, changed. I mean, we're talking a market that's many times bigger. Yeah. Uh, you're talking uh, many times more outlets. Um, I think in those days, uh, our, our biggest biggest problem was to sell beer was SAB was so dominant in the market. Never they controlled uh, retail. They controlled um, hotels uh, and on consumption outlets and it was very difficult when we came into the market to try and penetrate that. We were quite lucky that we managed to penetrate it. We uh, we did some um, very interesting marketing activities. We we basically um, went in and, and, and you can literally say forced our beer into the outlets which were controlled by breweries. We were also very lucky that in, in those days uh, the group did have an, its own retail chain, okay. Western Province Cellars and, yeah. and, and Liquor Town, uh, which gave us a little bit of a, a boost going into the market. But I think the it, it was still, uh, let's call it a... We had to conquer street for street, mm. outlet for outlet, etc. And similarly, whether it was in Soweto or whether it was in in Johannesburg or Pretoria, uh, you had to go and try and get facings. You had to try and get entry into into the liquor outlets um, through promotions, um, etc. Uh, you, you would slowly get people to drink our product. I think we were, uh, you know, I think. Part of our, our marketing was, um, I don't know if you recall, Holger, we had these beautiful handcrafted wagons. Uh, we had one big yeah. one which weighed nearly five tons, which was drawn by six and later eight horses with two German coachmen. And is, uh, there's a word called dryman. What is a dryman? Is it the horse or the cart or what? Are, do you know? The what? What is a dryman? Is it? It's not the horse. I mean, Dryman's no. Brewery is named after no, some. Well, it could be something a, a horse. But I know we. I mean, we, we used Clydesdales. We had these Clydesdales. enormous Clydesdales yeah, which we imported. Had, yeah. um, I remember those. Yeah. And and then we also built smaller wagons, which we then used in 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 Durban and in Cape Town, etc. Okay. Which were drawn by four horses. Um, and with that, we we were part of events. Uh, university rags wanted us part of their position uh, and I think we got a lot of exposure uh, those with those horse and wagons yeah. uh, we were very different um, we through that we had we, we did interesting sponsorships and slowly step by step uh, we, we got b- bigger volumes we got recognition we got better facings we got floor space we got display space etc etc so it all was a question of step by step by step um going forward so you were definitely already a player when when the deal was done it wasn't uh, oh, absolutely. you I weren't th- just starting i think off. i think so far with the exception of maybe today with the heineken i'm still mm. merger uh, i think we ha- gained the biggest penetration into the SAB market uh, and, and took the biggest share from SA breweries that anybody else uh, that has up to date prior to now um, yeah. has taken from. Um, you know, we, we, we talked in, in those days in, you know, if you split the markets in, in, in down Rashburn, we had a, a dominant share in, in the so-called white market and we had a, a smaller share in the black market, really? but we were getting into it as piece by piece, slowly, yeah. slowly. Um, 
but our biggest share was was of course in 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 the affluent top end of the market. That's where we with we the craft did players today. We we I think we to a certain extent where where craft is starting to to play a role yeah. in that in that area, yeah. with people wanting something different. And yeah. um, yes, you've 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 known that. The old SAB brands for um, um years, and 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 people just see something that that tasted different and and had a bit of a different story. And did did you use the distal reps or did you have your own reps? No, no, we we used our own. We had our own rep. Uh, I think the the Costa Group uh, liquor side of our business did help us. Mm. Um, they did gave us, um, for example, we got information from them. We did ride on some of the back, but. We did had you have all to our fill in new account forms, or was it? It wasn't delivered together with. No, 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 no. Totally different. Totally we had our own uh, own distribution, own okay. trucks, own okay. so the whole lot. It, it it was really a. I mean, we were a totally separate operation, okay. standalone operation, yeah, as such. Interesting. Yeah, with our own sales managers, our regional managers, uh, national sales manager, um, we product managers uh, handling the marketing side, and yeah, we uh, we had merchandisers, so we we were really fully equipped. Um, um, liquor marketing operation. Okay, and what what packaging did you have? Cans, bottles, drafts. We had um, in those days. It was I think three seventy five more bottles, which were the returnables. Yeah. Then there was the non returnable, which was the three forty as we know today, dumpy. And then of course there was the cans, um, the ordinary three forty mil cans. Okay, so you had returnable uh, bottles uh, then. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, so that those were mainly for the on, on mm. contrade that, that okay. we had those. But it, it was it wasn't a big volume. It was a, a relatively small volume. Mm. And then of course uh, the courts. I mean the seven fifty mil. Yeah, we. Had okay. coach as well, yeah, and and draft wasn't yes, it? Yes, draft was very much oh. a coronavirus thing. Um, um, uh, yes, we aimed at, at 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 we started off what what I always call pockets of excellence and created them, i.e., maybe the German clubs and the German mm. activity centres, German school, etc. But then from there on, it went out, and and we we definitely were uh, a draft of choice uh, down the line um, in okay. the latter part of the operation. And just remind us the the timing. When was that? Nineteen. Well, basically, nineteen seventy three. Um, that was the beginning of uh, of intercontinental breweries, okay. and it was it basically ended in seventy nine with the seller uh, the seller of, of the. Okay. So basically, you can say seven years and okay. uh, just over seven years, um, not and quite eight years. And did you work directly with Dr. Rupert then, or? Who you? I personally had had the privilege of of meeting him and and working when I was at Stellenbosch at head office. Yeah. So it was a great privilege to work with with uh, uh, the top and his brother, which was he was head of marketing, and okay. I was very close with him, J. A. Rupert, um, and then of course his other brother was J. P., which was responsible for the production side, um, and as the Belgians always said, um, they to try and differentiate between the three brothers, they would say J. P. It was just production. JA was just advertising. And AE was about all and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine that massive organization being run by three brothers. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there was other directors, Jam Hatzoff, etc. But, yeah. but those, those were the, the three brothers directly involved in the yeah. business. And, and I think I had the most dealing with with uh, with. with J.A. Rupert, uh, who was the, who's the marketing, <laughs> the, the marketing, let's call it uh, Fundi in the, in the yeah. group. And okay, interesting. And then you, you, they sold the business under your feet. Well, they basically <laughs> they sold it. Um, I had an opportunity to, to go to um, the German Brinkmann arm of the cigarette business. That was an option that I had. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> felt it was that, within the Rupert group. Which within the Rupert group, yeah. I felt I didn't want to go back into cigarettes. As a matter of fact, I did feel a little bit hurt that you seven years of my life, uh, which I really intensely worked for the brand, mm. to have started. And I had an earning to go back into what I really wanted to go into marketing and strategic marketing. And the, the best road for that was to go into advertising. And uh, at that point in time, an old colleague, also Rembrandt colleague, Yul Loftus, who he and I worked together, uh, had started a small advertising agent called Safmark International. And I was asked to join them, and which I duly did. And we then later merged with a far larger agency, uh, KMP, or Kirk Moran Potkita, uh, which is uh, today part of the Saatchi 
group that um, mm-hmm. owns the, the, that advertising agency, but that was way after my time with him. Yeah. But we we were involved, and um, my main uh, involvement at that time in was in tourism, which we handled the Satu account, which the South African tourism, and we also handled the the export of fruit, which was just starting to be, be, become a factor. But in those days, uh, and, and fish, of course, um, the lucky star pilchers, etc., etc. But we could we found it difficult to operate an operation overseas, and um, by having a German passport and gave me an opportunity to open an office overseas and to establish our export operations, as you can call it. Although that wasn't directly an advertising job, but it was mm-hmm. indirectly a marketing okay. job and it was quite an interesting phase of our life. Um, yeah. And so, not out of Spain or out of Spain or... No, that, yeah, that was very much later. Oh, I mean, that's it? out of that developed uh, today. I mean, today uh, our fruit export business is enormous business. Yeah. In those days, it was a, it was a relatively small and fledgling business rather than than what it is today. Uh, so yes, it, it's 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 very much different. Okay. And then you you spent a couple of years in that formal kind of advertising. Yes, I, I, I was in advertising basically. Um, All the time, I then moved. I decided to move to Cape Town um, with my aging parents. You Was know, that from Stellenbosch or from Johannesburg? From Johannesburg, Johannesburg okay. uh, from, jo- from from Johannesburg to Cape Town, where I was again also involved in advertising. I, for example, handled um, some of the. Uh, Distal brands in, okay. in, uh, from that side I also had was involved with the Volkswagen brand uh, the the David if you might call the David Kramer commercials with the combi, with the combi that, yeah. that was part of that was my okay. life as well so yes um, and then advertising was was absolutely uh, I did right up until the time um, when I got involved um, in an advertising agency which I bought in Vintuk. And on my visit to, to Vintuk and establishing the company, I went to go and see uh, Namibian breweries, or those days it was called Southwest African breweries. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I got involved and they said to me, we have a problem that uh, with the border war, et cetera, et cetera, SAB is, is getting into Namibia. Um, and they saw it as a major threat, which I okay. totally agree. And, uh, and just for the listeners, you were actually born in Namibia. Uh, yes, you were uh, born in Vintuk. No, I was born in Munich in Germany. In Munich, okay. Uh, came out as a little boy. Okay. Um, uh, I was two and a half years old. Uh, okay. and my father built the pump station at Roybank in sort of forty kilometers uh, in the desert from uh, Wolfers Bay. And was that water used to brew beer, or uh, that water? <laughs> no, that water was basically what happened is the Kuiser River runs underground, and and there was an enormous lake under the dunes and uh, they had needed someone to devise a, a pump station which operated 300 meters underground <laughs> okay. anyway that was my father being engineer yeah. that's what he did and so then we, we we lived in Namibia I was went to school in Namibia primary school and then my parents moved to Cape Town um, in the in the 60s and uh, that's when I moved we, we all moved to Cape Town I completed my schooling at the German school in Cape Town okay. and then the University of Cape Town and you lived in Camp Bay that's where we lived in Camp Bay okay. yeah. well, back to so 86 we went to Namibia and or Southwest Africa in those days and uh, the challenge was how do we def- defend number one this mm. was the question defend uh, Southwest Africa breweries, the Vintuk brands and the brands they had against the onslaught of SAB, which came via the the, the troops, the, the war okay. that was raging at the time. Um, and one of the things that, that uh, I came up and proposed to them was it's no good defending a small market, which if you took the Southwest African market versus South African market, it's most probably defending a 2% market. Okay. That's versus a 98% yeah. market. And my strategy and, and thoughts were let's go and take them on in South Africa. And, and, and they had a monopoly in, in Namibia. They had, basically they had a monopoly in Namibia. SAB had a monopoly mm. in South Africa. But then they bought Swako breweries, uh, eh? No, 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 no. Oh. No, 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 they're not. They bought the brand. They never bought the brewery. The Hansa brand? Yeah. yeah. Okay. They bought the Hansa brand, but not the brewery. Oh, okay. And and what happened is is basically it, it allowed oh, us. It's raining. That's nice. Yeah. 
uh, it allowed Vintuk to, 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 number one, defend, but also to able to gain volume. So whatever they lost through the, the border operation oh, okay. to gain more of that in South Africa. And, and it was very simple. Go and get a small, tiny percentage of the big market, mm-hmm. um, which is, in any case, worth more than losing 10, 20% in Namibia, okay. uh, which ultimately did. And, I mean, if you look at the nub today, yes, they did, they've did. they lost share in, in Namibia, but they've gained a lot more being so being a Southern African brand yeah. rather than just a, a, a Vintuk or Namibian brand or South East African brand. And how did the SAB beer get into South Africa? Did, did, did it come in? Well, Namibian beer. How did it get into Southwest? On the back of... Of the, of the war, through the, to the border war. Yeah. So Basically, did they ship in they, they ship it to, to They shipped it to the border to, to supply to the troops like mm. we did. Um, uh, but, but of course, and from that it filtered into... They shipped it from Joburg or somewhere, uh, Cape Town. Absolutely. It came in through the Caprivi, uh, through the Kavango and Novemberland, where basically where the, the war was going on okay. and through the base, South African bases which had SA because they could do what they wanted and, there and that's how it slowly started getting in okay. and we were also up there I mean I'm, we built we built our own you know, that's fine that's we built our even the trucks in those days that that we that were uh, we had a we had a truck delivering to Rundu and Caprivi which was uh, uh, Landmine proof. Mm-hmm. It actually was shaped like the military vehicles, so that we could deliver our products all the way to Caprivi and to Kavango, even in those days of of, 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 of the war situation up at the top. I'm just gonna move that fire quickly. We we're sitting outside, and there's a there's a lovely. Uh, you had a you had those vehicles made for the border delivery. Yes, uh, so that we could actually uh, run in those areas and and and, and avoid. Um, us losing vehicles, so we actually had prepared a truck that that was actually mine proof, mine proof. <laughs> uh, uh, just to get the to stocks up there. Very resourceful there. Mm. Sorry, a uh, plan. Yeah, no, we had to, uh, yeah. and we basically, I mean, we, we stepped up. Um, we built more depots up in the north, uh, in in Rundu and in Caprivi and Ovamberland. Uh, we we had a strong association with the big seven of Umbu traders who ran big big de- de- beer depots. And who um, were those German guys? Or no 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 no. They were, f- for example, Franz and Dongo was was the, the, the okay. biggest one of them. Um, very powerful in that area. Very dominating in terms of beer. Um, they were they were liquor warehouses and food warehouses owned by locals. Wow. Uh, owned by the locals, yes, absolutely. Okay, and uh, and our, we we developed our relationship with them so that we 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 were we were better than let's call it those days South African breweries who, yeah. who's coming into that market uh, okay. via the, the military. Okay, and then tell us a little bit about how, were you involved in getting Vintuk into South Africa? Yes, um, I was very much part of the strategy, and I was involved in in. The foundation of our first depots, um, i.e. Cape Town and Johannesburg. Yeah. Um, we had the board authorized uh, the purchase of Interlinks, which we then ran our first beers into South Africa, and uh, and then bringing back our raw materials, i.e. glass, cans, oh, okay. etc., from South Africa. Uh, that worked very well in the beginning, um, but it that was a massive operation, and I fully recall uh, those days with the rebel group who um, and of course western province sellers but rebel uh, was the first liquor chain group that was bold enough to buy 20 pallets of beer from us <laughs> which was an enormous volume and and the, the, the joy that went with with the yeah. sale of that and being able to have a pallet on the floor in a liquor store for, of vintage beer was was, was was absolutely fantastic yeah so and then that's what Picardi Rebel is yeah. part of today. Well, so you to, would have run. Well, that was that was, those days was Rebel. It was it yeah. wasn't Picardi Rebel. Picardi was, was something else. Yeah, Picardi was separate, and then they, they joined, and then. And who owned or who controlled Rebel? <coughs> it was controlled, I think, if I'm by the Gilby's Group. Uh, okay. Uh, they uh, were okay. they were not SAB. So, otherwise, so we can you recall? Because Liquor was just Liquor and Western Province well, was one was, group. Was there was Rembrandt. Rimble, was it was another group. Okay. Then Solid Kramers, which was breweries. Yeah. Um, and then there were then the beginning Liquor Cities was sort of starting to become a group. Many 
many yeah, yeah. I, rem- I think he's 21 years old or 22 20 he was he started in 94 just yeah that's the right. way he was, he was he was a latter part of but of he, he was involved in the industry before that but i don't know what he was called then yes he was he had outlets as i say uh, at the time um many and i know he he, he was involved in but not in the liquor city as we know okay. today yeah mm-hmm. okay and then um, Spot On, obviously, I don't know when that started as a franchise. Can you remember that? No. That was a little later. That was, okay. that was, not, uh, was later. In. Okay. So, so Rebel was one of your first big customers, yeah, and you, was, you opened a depot in Randburg, I think. Eh? Yes, correct. And, and in Cape Town in, in, in Belleville. Um, and Greg Holtman was one of the, uh, who's today still in the in the, in the, in the business. beer business, was uh, was uh, in, involved in our Cape Town operation. Okay, and were those outsourced or did he work there for you? He worked for he worked okay. for us. Yeah, no, they okay. were own, our own depots. Okay, and I mean they were small little warehouses at the time. I mean if I look back on, I look at volumes today, yeah. and then, uh, I look at how we started with small warehouses and uh, four ton trucks and and buckies and and from where it's developed today, you know, being a massive yeah. distribution setup with trucks and etc yeah. yeah and can you remember any names out of Joburg was I don't just you don't remember no, I, don't. I remember name George George yes it was, uh, was a George and, but I you don't uh, well it's and then obviously the Peter Hoyer or Peter Hoyer's father was, was Peter Hoyer's Durban. father was he then became the Durban operation that's when we started using um, which was not directly when we started using distributors mm-hmm. okay but the Joburg and Cape Town were own operations okay. where Natal was a, a distributor operation. Okay. So Peter Hoyer's business, which he exited out of last year, I think it's, it's called Beverage Emporium now. Mm. It was Team, team Liquor. Yeah, Team Liquor, that's, that's and, correct. And, and his father owned a business which later became what is known today as, as uh, Liberty Liquors in Argyle Road. Okay. Yeah, that's sort of the root of, of where he was. Mm. Okay, so, and, yeah, I mean, how long did you work with, with the Vinto? So you were working as, a, as, a, as, a, as an agency for them, or did you work for them No, directly? no, 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 no. Uh, okay, I must maybe go back. Uh, after that proposal, and uh, the question was, yeah, okay, now we're going to go to South Africa. It's not a bad idea. It's just a question, you know, who's going to do it? And, and then I joined Namibian Breweries, or those days okay. Southwest African Breweries, full-time basis, and I was on their staff full time doing the job okay okay and you you mentioned before that when there were strikes you had to load trucks and drive trucks oh no we, 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 so you we, did I you can did remember hands on completely I was very very much so I mean we we had several strikes and and activities and it, and of course it was a, to boycott and to not supply beer in the north of Namibia is, is like a it's, it's a big factor so so when the strikers blocked uh, us ex- exiting the brewery uh, we and and short supply of beer up north which which was not a popular thing i'm sure we had to do some very clever thinking of how we're going to get our beer out and and i recall one one such evening we decided to to load we had a few select people uh, who had licenses to drive those trucks we loaded them at night basically under minimum lighting and we drove out the brewery Early, early in the morning, with the first light before the big masses started <laughs> striking, and 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 before they, they the masses came to block the gates, we had actually put three trucks through the gate and uh, running up north to deliver beer. Okay. I've never said been so welcome in Uvamberland as I was that morning Were leading. You one the of the co- uh, co- yes, I was driving one of the trucks, leading that uh, the uh, group up there and delivering the beer to them again. Okay. Um, and then coming back that afternoon and. Uh, well, that night again, we we came again back after dark so that we could uh, get into the brewery, and we. And how and many kilometres would it, would that have been? Well, the, the trip from Windhoek to Vamberland is about oh, what is it? About five hundred, okay. six hundred kilometres. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's, 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 and did you work quite closely with the List family? Did you, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about how the whole Namibian brewery thing started? Or Vintuk Breweries? Or well, sw- it was I'm called Vintuk Breweries. Or yes, there was two breweries. Um, there was the, uh, the Vintuk Brewery and there was Swakopmund Brewery. Okay. Um, they were then combined when uh, Werner List actually bought the Swako Brewery and then amalgamated it with his Wintook Brewery, which then led to Southwest African Breweries. That's how it was. 
the operation was in Tallstrasse in in uh, in in in, in, in the city itself. In the city, okay. And I remember as a student working there in in nineteen. Um, 68, 69, uh, and 70, uh, I would come up for the school holidays in December and I would help with distribution, I would help in the warehouse, uh, I would do a little bit of marketing. Okay. Um, as a varsity student. Uh, as a varsity oh, student. So um, my association with Vintuk Beer goes right back to my varsity days. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yes. Um, so, and, and that. I had the privilege of working very close with the the family. Um, I went to varsity with uh, with one of the sons. Um, uh, I knew Bernd Masher quite well, also from university. Mm. So yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been we, we, being also an old Vintuk family as such. Yeah. Uh, you know, we it was it was nice to be associated with him and be able to help and assist and and, and create a little bit of a privilege. Mm. And the, and the Altrava family, what was Altrava? He basically he was no longer. I mean, I'm talking my days there. Uh, he, it was it was just was a name. Just a name. And he was no longer. Okay. Um, I think originally, if if um, the Altrava and and Vanellis father were were the Altrava list. Okay. Uh, when when I knew the list, when it was company was called Altrava list, but the, the list owned it. Okay. And I just wanted just a, a little rabbit hole that I mean I've got a. Uh, I've got a memory of a name Brockman and Kreese. Yeah. So Brockman and Kreese was something that did liquor as well, and they, which had some association with NMK Schultz. Yes, Brockman Kreese was was a, in, in the, those days in Namibia. Um, the South African liquor companies used local okay. uh, wholesalers, um, to, whether it was in the food game or whether it was in liquor. They used uh, Namibian wholesalers, stroke mm, distributors, okay. to 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 market their products. Um, so that uh, Brockman Crease was one of the one of the uh, the old uh, liquor distributors in okay. South in Southwest Africa. Like the Gilbies or something. Yeah, yeah. And and for example, the uh, Toyman uh, family owned the the Gilbies liquor franchise. Yes. Uh, they they did the the Gilbies brands, if I can call okay. it that, in Namibia. Brockman Crease did did uh, I think the Stel brands and. Uh, and uh, and imported brands. They were also very strong in imported brands, i.e. the Jägermeisters. And, and that was the NMK equivalent. Okay. So NMK Schultz was in South Africa, and they were the importers of, if I remember, Erdinger, yeah. Jägermeister, That's Straw correct. Rum, correct. Frangelica later. Mm. What else could could there have been? Yeah. Aquavits and all sorts of German stuff. A lot of German brands. And then, of course, NMK later became very much known for their wine, uh, yes. the distribution and, and the wine Uh, brands that they held. Mm. Okay. And then you mentioned Tiber. We know that the Tiber family built the, the Wartburger Hof, which is obviously very dear to our hearts. Correct. And uh, so they were actually from Wartburg and moved to Namibia? Or yes. I think the uh, no, what happened, of course, the, the Tiber family at that time uh, were also the agents for Bayer, and they had a massive okay. operation in Joburg. And Bayer then Pharmaceuticals. Correct, pharmaceutical and, and the aqua film business in South Africa. Okay. And they also own a, a distribution uh, operation in, in Namibia or Southwest Africa those days, which had three legs. It had a, 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 a perishable division, i.e. frozen and, and cold food. It had a dry goods operation and it had a liquor operation. Okay. Uh, it <coughs> was known as Toybon Carson. Um, okay. Southwest Africa, uh, a, a large uh, again distributor, which again was very much part of the landscape in those yeah. years. Okay, and how long did you work in Namibia, or were you then moved back Up to South to, Africa? Uh, came back to South Africa in '94. Okay, um, it's basically um, it was a decision that, which was a very difficult one for me. I mean, we loved being in Namibia. We was, probably would have stayed. Uh, but for personal reasons, uh, we wanted to go back. My mom was not well at all. I wanted to sp spend time and look after. And we definitely, my wife was going through infertility treatments. And, and it, it, it was better for us to be in South Africa okay. and to do this, uh, which we wanted. So it was a very much for personal reasons, yeah. not for anything else. And then you moved to, to the Cape. Then moved to Cape Town. Okay. And then <coughs> out of the booze business? 
Um, yes, I went out of the booze business. I did a bit of consulting for Flay Central, um, and but then I, I got involved in them, which was another love of mine, is maybe motor cars. <laughs> I got involved in the motor business where I um, built a two fuel sites. Um, I got involved in Cape Off-Road and Safari, which was uh, developing 4x4 vehicles at the time, uh, selling 4x4 vehicles. And through that, I got into the Volkswagen franchise and I opened or bought a dealership in Marmesby. Um, I opened a new one in Friedenburg. And then we bought the Stellenbosch Volkswagen dealership. Um, and basically, uh, was involved in that right up to... Um, Last end of last year, where I, I be, then decided to get out of the motor business for a number of reasons, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and lo and behold, I talked to Greg and and we decided there's and that's there Greg Holtman from Greg Holtman from the old Vintuk correct from Flair Beverages, yeah. and for me to get involved in Johannesburg market Pretoria and and KZN market uh, to try and establish the base for the German imported brand, which is the, the base for Flair Beverages. And, uh, but, uh, but before you go down there, I can remember meeting you in the 90s. Oh, yes. So I think you skipped that little episode. I, I was working for yes, Bavaria yes, Brow, yes, and yeah. we had well, just got the agency from for Halston, yeah. which uh, Namibian breweries held up to then, I think, until Bex invested in... in Namibian breweries, wasn't Correct. it? Correct. That's, 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 you're quite <coughs> right. We skipped that part. Um it, it what happened is basically, um, although I had an interest in motor business, I also had a wine distribution operation, okay. and so there was a distribution leg. And when Holston approached us at the time uh, to help, you know, seeing that they lost the 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 leg through Namibia, um, we we sort of created for an opportunity for them in the Cape Town market via our uh, distribution operation, and uh, and then we got involved with the Bavaria, uh, yeah. with the Funks and, and the Bavaria, which also you, came yeah. back into it. Okay. And uh, basically, uh, that operation didn't last very long. Um, okay. um, and then it just just with the Bavaria, and the Bulmers, and and Holsten to a certain extent not being just in South Africa, the volumes not being significant. Um, it it was a it was an, we meant we exited out of that business. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but it was I think while we were doing it, it was about we we're talking about a period of two to two and a half years. I okay. would say we were involved, if my memory okay. serves me correctly. That must have been in early two thousands. It was late, wasn't it? Late uh, late nineties, early two thousand. Yeah, that, that that round that talk. Because I briefly moved to Joburg as marketing manager for Holstein. Correct. And, and and that's, Bavaria, I remember and that's, that's where our paths crossed. We. <laughs> yeah. We, I was working for Bavaria at the time, and we had started a joint venture with HP Bulmer Limited from, which is the big, which was the big cider maker in in the UK. In the UK, and obviously, and at the same time, the the Holston brand happened to be available, and I think we we tried to get that back on board, and yeah, yeah we I had a, I was asked to to help with the Holston launch in South Africa, which really wasn't didn't work out well at all. I no. think Vintuk did very well with Holston, but when, when we tried to move it, it was an absolute disaster. Yeah, yeah I, I think the, 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 the exit and the re-entry of Holston, thing, I think that it, it, from a brand, it, it took a big knock there, and, mm. and it, it never really hitched, got to the heights again that it, that it did yeah. previously. Uh, yeah, there was some wonderful, I mean, I remember calling on all the, all the big Holston customers because we had the list, and yeah. I mean, there were some really, really faithful outlets. Yep. Holston Draft was massive before yep. we took it over. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, okay, so that's where I think our paths crossed in the in, in, Correct. In the early 2000s or something. And, mm. and uh, yeah, I think it was, wasn't was – you say it didn't last very long, two and a half years. And then now um, let's talk a little bit about Flair Beverages. So Flair has been going ever since, I think, Finn took – did they ever become the Vintage agent? Uh, no, Flavor just came out out of the, the, the let's call it the dropping away of NMK Schulz. Okay. Um, Greg then decided to go on his own, and he 
managed to get this, uh, the German brands that Emke Schulz had, and he started marketing those again, okay. i.e. the adding the of the Polana, the Bitburger, yeah. etc., Uh, together with uh, the Schladeras and yeah. the Bärenjäger, etc., etc. Whatever could be rescued from the NMK portfolio. Correct. Um, okay. And and then mm. you know handled other beers. He had some whiskies. He had a, had a quite a widespread mm. liquor beer portfolio, um, which the company still has to a certain extent. Mm. Although it, it's it's less reliant on the liquor side, mm. than, and the beer has become a bigger factor in in yeah. in the in the whole. Um, marketing effort. Okay, so let's look at the beers. Bitburger is a massive German pils, isn't it? Correct. Probably one of the biggest draft it, it's, pils. It's, it's, uh, it was probably the, the biggest pils producer in Germany. Yeah. Uh, they have in Germany also one of my favorite, absolute favorite pilsers, the Königspilzner. <laughs> uh, they, they are a large, large operation. Yeah. Um, also internationally, um, in Africa, I think they're only represented in South Africa. I know they've now expanded into Kenya. Mm -hmm. um, And that would be probably the biggest opposition of Vastina, or what do you think? Could be, yeah. But uh, as I say, but that's, that's Bitburger. Mm -hmm. um, the the, the Erdinger brand, of course, that's... Bitburger, so Bitburger is a typical German Pilsner. You just drink as much as you... And it's available everywhere in a small little Pilsner glass on tap. It, it's available on tap. Mm. Um, it's available in the 330 mil. Mm. And I think today one of the, the big absolute potentials for uh, for Bitburger is their Bitburger Drive, their non-alcoholic the product, yeah. um, which is really starting to find okay. a lot of customers and a lot of supporters. Yeah. Um, <coughs> which, and I think that. That in itself has, uh, is, is, and I think that that's a trend yeah. worldwide. Where if I think of uh, back in the the Kronenburg days, uh, we launched in Kronenburg Light, which is the first light beer, yeah. and today to actually have a beer that tastes like a beer, yeah. and and that is a, <laughs> and that that has got no alcohol okay. or absolutely so little that yeah. you can't call it alcohol. Okay, and then in the portfolio we've got. Uh, Palana, which is obviously, I Pal think it's 49% owned by Heineken, isn't it? Or is it not? Um, I'm not I'm not sure. Okay. You, you're actually saying something which I'm, right. I'm not sure myself. I mean, Palana we'll known as, as one of the old Munich yeah. breweries, yeah. Uh, together with, with the Leuven and yeah. the Hacker and etc. One of the few that's at Oktoberfest. Eh? And, and, and one of the ones that has a massive, massive uh, tent on the Oktoberfest. And still controlled by a family. It's, eh? it's still a family controlled. As yeah. I say, it, it might be a shareholding some international. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, okay. sure of that. But it's a, a definitely a name to if you Munich, Polana yeah. uh, and, and Bia are synonymous with one yeah. another. <laughs> And then, obviously, the massive vice beer brand of Erdinger, which is a massive export brand. A absolutely. I, I mean, mean the, everybody the, reminds me, I drink this when I'm skiing somewhere <laughs> or when I'm there. I'm drinking. Everybody always drinks Erdinger. And I think I think <laughs> with the Bavarian vice beers, where Erdinger was probably being the most international of all, yeah. has become the sort of benchmark in today with all the craft breweries. Uh, people brewing vice beer, I believe the Erdinger vice brand uh, – over 300 years of vice beer brewing mm. is the benchmark. I mean, they've managed to, to perfect it. Mm. I, I do believe it's, 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 it's an absolute top in. And, and as, as much as everybody else is starting to brew vice beers, uh, Erdinger and the Munich vice beers are where it all yeah. started. Because yeah. that is the traditional form of beer uh, making and drinking in, 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 in Bavaria. Mm. I mean, it's not it's it's not the most uh, flavorful beer. I think mm. out of the there's, there's definitely some vice beers like even Palana, which I think has got more flavor and more more spice in it. Mm. But it's certainly as a brand, it's it's got massive appeal. Yeah, yeah I, I think it, I think if from a personal point of view, I think um, Polana is a more tastier vice. Mm. Uh, where adding a, is, a, is a very much balanced vice beer. Mm. Um, it's, 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 it appeals to a wider, that's why I think it's become such a world brand mm. because it has, has a wider it's appeal. Got a appeal. And, yeah. and of course, they've created the, uh, the, the clear one, the Cristal. Yeah. Um, uh, so they're again catering for those who maybe not want to really have the traditional. Mm. Cloudy vice beer. They've got a, a, a filtered vice mm. beer, etc. So okay. yes, I think and it's become um, uh, just a big international brand. And and just 
just in closing, you are now setting up this this business nationally for for flare beverages, setting up Joburg and, and KZN, and uh, I guess filling in the gaps in the rest of the country. So you're finishing off your career selling beer again. Yes, absolutely, and and uh, it's, it's delightful to be back in the industry. And it's yeah. actually, I find it quite amazing that uh, so many people. Uh, I bump into uh, it's still in the liquor trade today, and and some of them do even remember me, and and so uh, yeah, it is. It's actually quite gratifying to be able yeah. to be back and to apply the knowledges, and and I can say today, it's not different to what it was in those days. When you started, it uh, is just ten board. times bigger. It's just <laughs> ten times more, but it is um, it's as challenging, and I find that it, the big thing which we applied and and applied throughout my my. Um, my years in the in the liquor business is to offer good service, yeah. and and I think that core principle today is still very much so. Mm. If you offer a product, you supply service with that product, mm. you look after your customers, they will support you, mm-hmm. and you will go somewhere. Yeah. And that that to me is in, no doubt that hasn't changed. Uh, and unfortunately, it, uh, it doesn't. Not all companies apply that same yeah. principle. But I, I believe very strongly in in, in service levels yeah. and, and 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 looking after our customer. Um, and and to me, that's always given me success. And I'm pretty mm. sure it will help me on this last venture of mine <laughs> to again achieve success. Yeah. And and you're not revealing everything because there are some exciting things on the horizon. Uh, and uh, I mean, I don't know how much you can share with us, but. Certainly, there's some stuff happening, and uh, we look forward to to hearing about those. I mean, um, yes, there is definitely um, interesting developments. Um, I think everybody believes in craft market being a growing part of the South African mm-hmm. beer market and beer scene, and no doubt uh, it, it's there. And and I think. Well, we are looking at some exciting developments in that segment of the market. Okay. Um, and put you in, as I say, watch the space, and we'll just talk again <laughs> later in the year. But uh, there the are exciting things yeah. in, in the pipeline, and okay. I think there's opportunity. Um, I think the mass market, you know, which is dominated by the big brands, of course, South African breweries, uh, there are people that are just wanting to be have something different mm. to be able to experience something. I mean, we in the wine industry, if you look at that explosion, if you take that over the last 40 years from where it all started with a stein and a late harvest and today what amazing amount of wines we've got. Mm. Um, and I think the same thing in, we're seeing in the beer. Yeah. Uh, people are just sick and tired of a standard A, B, C, that's it. Yeah. Now, now you have a variety. You have... How many vice beers on the market? Yeah. We twenty years ago, who'd have thought of a even, vice beer? Even SAB's <laughs> making vice beer. Even SAB's <laughs> now attempted to make a vice beer. Yeah. So, but I think that's all exciting. So it's it's there's a there's a new development. People yeah. are able to do have a, have a variety. Look at mm. uh, you're able to buy something different. You're not having to go and select one out of four mm. brands or five brands. Yeah. You you've got a you've got twenty, thirty, forty, fifty at both on and off con. Um we have some lovely draft outlets today who have twenty odd different beers on tap. What mm. a wonderful experience. Yeah. That you used to have in Germany and you know in in, in and in, in the UK where you had these big beer houses yeah. and, and pubs that would offer you this variety. Now we've got it coming in South Africa, so hurrah. Yeah. Just go for it. <laughs> So yeah, I think Manfred. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm grateful that I could share this, this with you, and I, I can just see how the beer culture has developed mm. from, from the early '70s to now. Mm. I mean, we've experienced it. My first exposure with Bavaria and NMK Schultz bringing in those wonderful beers from all over the world, and uh, I think yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to hear about th- what the future holds for you, and mm. I hope, I wish you many more happy years in the beer industry. And uh, I look forward to chatting you get with you again soon. Absolutely. Th- thanks, Holger. I appreciate it. And I think it's nice. And, you know, I think this whole thing started with your book, which sort of put, put a bit of a, uh, let's call it a framework on South African beers yeah. and, and where we are. And I think uh, it's it's exciting to, to for me to, to look back on, on the 70s and look today in the 2000s and yeah. and, 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 and see what we, how the beer industry is, 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 is grown up and it's, it's diversified and, yeah. and the, the opportunities out there which, have, which I think are fantastic. Yeah.
Wonderful. And, and, and nice to be back and nice yeah. chatting to you. Thanks. Thank you. And now it's time for a beer. And I think we're going to have one of those. We're going to either have a tafel or we're going to have a, a adding of a, a picantos. But I think we'll have we'll start with the tafel lager just to, to celebrate your heritage and then end off with the adding of picantos in those beautiful glasses. And guys, if you haven't seen those adding of picantos glasses, ask at your local... Uh, beer house or, or at um, uh, Capital Craft or Ziggy's if you're in, in KZN um, it's really a celebration of beer so yeah thank you Manfred and we'll we'll, we'll chat again and catch up soon cheers thanks Olga. thanks for joining us today and thanks to Manfred thanks for all the lessons and it's interesting how history repeats itself. And I look forward to chatting to you again soon. Cheers. <laughs>